0: Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's get our Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11. We hardly ever touch on Hebrews 11, (laughs) but we're going to anyway. I'm just kidding. We're there a lot. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to read the Amplified Bible uh, version of this verse because it really opens it up that, this much more. You know, the Amplified is a very descriptive version. Kind of gives you all the adjectives uh, to each word here from the Greek context. And it says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for your word that it is living and powerful. It's life to those who find it and health to all of their flesh. And so we take this moment to open up our hearts, to open up our ears, to open our lives to the hearing of your word. And receive it with gladness today. Because we know, God, that your word changes things. We know that your word, Lord, is all we need. As Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we feast on it today. We thank you that we can taste and see today that the Lord is good. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Faith is not governed by the senses. This is what Hebrews 11, one teaches us. It perceives as real fact what is not, what is not perceived by the senses or revealed to the senses. I'm grateful for my senses. I'm grateful after going through that stupid virus back in August that for about three weeks there was this, no taste, and no smell. And that was frustrating. Sometimes I could just get a hint of something, you know, smell a cup of coffee for just a second, and then it would just go away. It was fleeting. Um, so I'm grateful uh, right now, probably more than I have been in a long time, for the ability to taste and to smell. But <clears throat> as Christians, that's not everything to your 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 life. Your own experiences are good teachers. uh, It's a good teacher for life and, you know, because history does tend to repeat itself. But when you're looking forward, you need something more than just experience. You need to have this faith perspective because faith sees things as they really are for you as believers. Faith is not uh, some sub-reality. Faith is our reality as Christians. All right, you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again, I, because there's a lot of talk out there, and I think a lot of it's just kind of more just uh, things we say because that's what we heard somebody else say, and it kind of sounded good. Risk it in faith. Risk it in faith. Risk it all in faith. Well, oh, Pardon me. Faith is not risk. Faith is actually, it takes all the risk out. All right, faith is the assurance. Faith is the assurance. It's the substance. Doubt is risk. Fear is risk, amen. Faith is surety, amen. So there's no risk in believing God. Faith is the substance and an evidence. Faith is the victory, the Bible says, that overcomes the world. Are you out there today? Hey, listen, it's 10 o'clock. You should be wide awake by now. How many cups of coffee coffee have you had yet? Hmm? I mean, you're welcome to run out there and grab one again to get a little bit more excited. (laughs) But you can't just base your life on, your feelings, your perception, or what you think. Those are all very helpful, uh, but they are not how we as Christians are to guide our lives. Amen? You know, if it feels good, it must be right, is a very dangerous guide to follow (laughs) because your feelings will play all sorts of tricks on you. Uh, If something is wrong, it is wrong regardless of how you feel or think about it. Amen? So, As I said, your senses are important, can be trusted in many ways, but what you can't always trust is your interpretation of them. So the only safe guide to follow when it comes to your life uh, is to trust God and his word because faith in him will always lead you in the right way. Uh, Verse 2, it says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony or a good report. I like this. I like this truth about faith that it changes your story. It changes your story. And we need to remember that because you're going to be tempted at times to think that things haven't changed as a believer Uh, about your own self, uh, about your relationship with the Lord. But Jesus did change everything. This new birth that you received in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ truly has changed everything because you were once darkness, but the Bible says now you are light in the Lord. You've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light. You were dead in sins, and now you're alive in Christ. The old things are gone, and the new things have come. Right? When you read the life of David, I love the story of David. There's so many, and I'm talking about David Garner in particular. I love the the life of of King David, who was a a, a warrior. First and foremost, he he was a fierce warrior. The guy, God created this man to be a killing machine. As a matter of fact, he said, he trains my hands for war. How many of you know if God teaches you how to fight, you don't know how to lose? Right? <laughs> he trains my hands for war. So God taught David how to fight, and you, and you better believe he won war after war after war, especially against those nasty Philistines. One in particular, Goliath. And so, but, he, but not only was he that, but David was also, he was a poet as well. Uh, as well as being a fierce warrior, he was also a poet, a songwriter, and a singer, and a musician, and he, he even uh, had the um, skill of creating an, uh, new instruments, and then learn how to play this new instrument, and then teach others how to play it. He filled the house of God with music from instruments, many of them of which he invented himself. A marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, musician and um, singer and songwriter and all those things. Uh, But then he was also king. He was also the king of Israel, the greatest king that Israel ever had. As a matter of fact, when you go through the lineage of the kings of Israel, David is always the one that stands out. They give him the title, the great king. All right? There is no other great king like David. Now, there is the greater king than the great king. (laughs) great David's greater son, Jesus Christ. But uh, as far as just a mere man, he's the great king. But he had some issues, didn't he? You know, he had some issues. Among all those heroic things about David and all those wonderful things, he also had some issues. And one particular story that the Bible tells about him is one that is quite dastardly of David. a sin that he committed that was premeditated, calculated, cold-blooded murder, and it was, he had his own man by the name of Uriah. Uriah was actually one of David's mighty men, and uh, Uriah the Hittite. Well, there was a time the Bible says you can read this over, and I believe it's 2 Kings chapter 11. I think it's Kings. It's either, it's either Samuel or Kings, but I think it's Kings. I know the chapter's 11, so just Find any chapter 11, and you'll come across this story <laughs> somewhere. Um, anyway, it says, in the spring, in the time when kings go out to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. That was a bad move on David's part because he's supposed to be out gathering spoils of war. And this is how they would come back. They'd bring the spoils of war, and this is how they would fund the kingdom, and God would give them the victory over their enemies. But David stayed back in Jerusalem. And so David stayed there and fell into a temptation in which he gave into that temptation because he's up on his roof one night and he sees a woman bathing on her roof. I have a feeling this is probably not David's first trip up there on the roof. Things tend to happen over time. And he sees this woman bathing and her name is Bathsheba and she happens to be the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah. And David is overcome so much with his desire for her that he calls her into his chambers. And before long, she is with child, his child, while her husband, his mighty uh, warrior, is in battle. So now he's got to figure out how to cover this up. So he calls for Uriah from the battlefield. So Uriah comes and David tells him, "I want you to go home tonight to be with your wife. And uh, you know you've done well for me, but you need to you need to spend some time with your wife." Well, Uriah just couldn't find it in his heart to do that. So David thinks he's got this thing taken care of. He goes to bed, wakes up the next day, walks out his door, and Uriah has slept there at his door all night long. And David said, "What are you doing?" What are you doing? No, 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 no. This is not how this works. You need to go home to your wife. So he's like, okay, I'll get him drunk then. So he he says, let's go eat. So he uh, fills him full of food and full of wine. He says, now go home to your wife and celebrate. And Uriah sleeps at the king's door again. David gets up the next day and there he is. And Uriah says, how can I do this when my brothers are dying on the battlefield? Uriah's heart is Loyal, loyal to his king, loyal to his brothers in arms. So finally David realizes he can't win. So then he sits down, he writes a letter to the captain of his army, a man by the name of Joab. He says, Joab, I want you to put Uriah on the very front. And especially when the battle gets hot in the heat of the fray, push Uriah up there to the front and make sure that he does not live through the experience. Something like this in the letter. And he rolls that thing up, puts the king's seal on it, and hands it to none other than Uriah. And Uriah runs to the battle with a message from the king, holding his own death warrant in his hand. He hands it to Joab. Joab breaks the seal, opens it up. Can you imagine Joab looks at this and looks at Uriah, thinking, you should have read this. And so he did what the king told him to do, and Uriah died in that, that day in battle. Well, the whole thing ended up with her, Bathsheba, having this baby and the baby dying. It was just, a, the whole experience was just awful. It's just tragic. And I'm saying this faith changes your story because when you get over to the New Testament and you read things like this that happened, this wasn't some, like I said, this is premeditated murder. And yet over in the New Testament, the only testimony of David is he is a man. This is what God's testimony. He is a man after my own heart, for he will do all of my will. And I say, Lord, did you read 2 Kings chapter 11? (laughs) I mean, I know you wrote it, but did you read what you wrote? I mean, uh, what do you mean he will do all your will? We know that wasn't God's will, but the New Testament changes everything. It changes everything. Abraham's another one. He was a man who wavered not at the promise of God. He was fully persuaded that God was able to perform what he promised. Really? God, have you read Genesis? Because Abraham did quite a bit of wavering there's a guy named Ishmael out there, right? That was wavering. That was not God's plan. As a matter of fact, when Isaac was born, God said, take now your son, your only son, upon the mountain. Wait a second. He's got two sons, God. God didn't even recognize Ishmael as Abraham's son because he was not the promised son. All right? Now, God blessed Ishmael, and, and Ishmael's blessed today. His generations. But God's plan with Abraham was that Abraham and Sarah would conceive this boy, Isaac, at a very old age. Abraham being 100, Sarah being 90. Because God wanted them living not in performance, but in promise. Abraham handed his wife over to two different foreign kings for fear of his own life because of her beauty. And just let them take her into their harem. That's, I would describe that as wavering in your walk, your faith. But when you get to the New Testament, he wavered not. It's like God really did forget about our sins. He really did choose to forget. He did. Your sins, the Bible says, he would remember them no more. Aren't you grateful for that today? He's not. He's not mindful of your sins. You might be mindful of your sins. Probably a good chance you are, because, I mean, it'd be nice to be able to have that delete mechanism in our head like God does. Just like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Lord, did I stand. When? When did you say? I don't. I don't know anything about that. Imagine that. He said it will remember them no more, because God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. Thank God for that. Aren't you grateful today that faith in in God changes your story? Amen. Changes your whole story. I want you to take your Bible and go to the book of Deuteronomy for a moment. I'm going to just get a couple more things to you. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. This is why you need faith because the enemy, he is a... He definitely uh, accounts sin. I mean, he's the inventor of it. But he's the one that's going to remind you of that. That's not the Lord reminding you of your sin. The Lord reminds you and and makes you aware of and convicts you of your righteousness. The enemy's always accusing. And Ephesians chapter 6 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All those accusations, all those lies, faith is how you will overcome all of that. All right? That's why we need faith in God. All right. So now Deuteronomy 1915, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. Wow, that's interesting. So even God will not just hear one witness. Right? This is this is a a uh, this is a law that that uh, transcends just the law of Moses. Jesus later said, "If um, if a man falls into a certain sin, and then you confront him about it, and if he doesn't." If he doesn't repent, you know, then bring it before the church by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church says, this will be the second time I'm coming, no, the third time, second or third time I'm coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So as far as God is concerned, there need to be two or three to establish any matter. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are three. And so the word of God is established because of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving witness to it powerful thought that's why by the time it leaves the godhead the word leaves the godhead it is fully established matter now the enemy is one and he accuses you and he tries to stand witness against you but i'm here to give you some good news today god don't even listen to him because he's just one but the father the son the holy spirit their witnesses uh, about you as well? What do they say about you? You are the righteousness of God in Christ today. Hallelujah. You are healed by his stripes. Come on, talk to me today. This is good news. Three witnesses are speaking on your behalf and those, that matter will be established. Now listen, it doesn't automatically get established until you agree with it. Until you come into agreement, the word of God is living. The Bible says in Hebrews four twelve, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word two-edged means twice spoken. All right? So God speaks, and that's one edge of that sword. Guess what? When you come into agreement, the other edge is on the sword. So now, now you have the highest authority in the earth. That's why Jesus said, say, declare, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth As it is in heaven, because the word of God is forever established in heaven, the Bible says. How are we going to get it established on the earth? We agree with it. We come into agreement with what the word of God says. We say what he says so that we can get the matter established that is in heaven here on the earth. All right. And there ain't nothing that the lousy, nasty devil can do about it. Now, but here's the thing. If you believe his lie and you agree with him, now you got two witnesses. And that matter can be established in your life. So you need to refuse the lie. Do not repeat the lie. Don't parrot the lie. Speak the word. Speak the word. Tell somebody next to you, speak the word. Amen. You become a whole new creation. Your story changes, and that's what you must believe. No matter what you feel or think about it, no matter what you hear, just know that you know that you know. In him, all things have been made brand new. Praise God. And God is not holding your sins against you. That helps you to be able to run your race swiftly, to keep looking forward, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen. And verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The invisible God spoke invisible words, and a visible world appeared. <laughs> Amen. And it was framed. It says it's framed by the Word of God. And this last thought I want to get to you today is faith helps you understand the power of words. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And the reason we need to understand the power of words is because we're made in His image. When God speaks, things happen. He's made you to be able to speak and things happen. Proverbs says it like this. Death and life are in the power of the what? Yeah. It doesn't say death and life are in the power of God or in the power of the devil. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Huh? Let me just remind you again today. Let's all do this for just a second. We've done this before, but just to get the picture again, it says that the power of the tongue is the word yada, the Hebrew word It means hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. <laughs> Isn't that something? So what you're doing is you're attaching your life to whatever you're talking about. Remember the kid in the Christmas story? They dared him to stick his tongue to that frozen flagpole. The, I mean, where his, where his tongue was stuck, his life was stuck. Right? You, you stick your tongue on the right thing, your life's going to experience the right thing. So speak life so that you can have life. Amen encouragement, build up others, amen, strengthen others, let the Word of God be your guide, be that thing which uh, you declare in the earth. Now, it's going to take uh, discipline on your part, because if you've been a Christian for five minutes, you realize uh, your tongue's still got issues. (laughs) You got a justified spirit, but you've got a tongue set on fire of hell according to the book of james so you got to you have to guide that tongue you have to bite it sometimes make it say the right thing because it naturally doesn't want to amen amen faith helps you understand the power of words you are not faith is not governed by the senses faith helps it changes your story helps you realize the whole new reality that you have in Christ Jesus and it helps you understand the power of words Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your promises that are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. They are gifts that just keep on giving. We thank you, Lord, that you have dealt to every one of us, every man, the measure of faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, God, just how vital it is to our Christian life, to living in victory, that we believe God. Because when we believe God, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. We thank you for that, Lord. So that's what we want to live in continual possibility in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that those who have needs here today, Whatever that is, whether it's uh, health, whether it's financial, relational, emotional, whatever it is, Father. I thank you right now for being a very present help in time of need. That they'll not be swallowed up by their circumstances. But, Lord, they will put their faith in you. And believe that all things are possible. That you know exactly what to do. You know, Lord, how to solve these issues. How to solve these problems. Not only do you know how, but, God, you will help them. You are a very present help. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, Lord. Thank you that all good things come from you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I pray, God, that your people will be strengthened today as they go into this new week, God, that they'll have the joy of the Lord that will be their strength, the peace of God that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds. And, Lord, that they would be strong in the Lord And in the power of his might, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord, that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And in that message, Lord, is salvation. Thank you for saving us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.